Support for Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom is brought to you as always by Manscaped for all your male grooming needs. We want to say thank you to our listeners who continue to support the podcast by shopping online at manscaped.com and getting 20% off your entire order with the promo code SUNNYNKC. You guys have helped us fund this podcast and keep bringing you guys Chiefs content every week, so we appreciate that. You already know about the Lawnmower 3.0, the best hygiene tool for the modern man with patented skin safe technology that makes getting nicked a thing of the past. But they also have a nice nail kit called the Shears 2.0, which has tempered stainless steel tools, including slash tip tweezers, round point scissors, fingernail clippers, and a medium grit nail file. I'm a personal believer in these products, and if you're frustrated with your electric razors running out of batteries, becoming dull, catching your skin, you owe it to yourself to try out Manscaped. Just remember to use promo code SUNNYNKC to get 20% off your entire order. Manscaped, take your grooming game to the next level. Now back to your regularly scheduled programming. Welcome in, everybody, to It's Always Sunny in Chiefs Kingdom, brought to you by Sports Illustrated's Arrowhead Report, si.com slash NFL slash Chiefs. Find them on Twitter at SI Chiefs. And, of course, our sponsor, Manscaped. I'm Austin. You can find me on Twitter at Real Bird Lawyer. And here with me, as always, is my man, Taylor Witt, who you can find on Twitter at Taylor underscore Witt. Taylor, what's going on? <laughs> uh, not much. Uh, I'm sure our astute listeners will notice that we didn't do a little fun, lighthearted riff here before the show began. Just kind of a somber mood, you know, there was all the crap that happened in D.C. Nobody won, no, that, you know, that was nothing, nobody could celebrate that. So it's just kind of, I wasn't feeling it, so we're not going to do it. We're not going to do it, and uh, to be honest with you, it's just because we didn't really have any material, but we're going to say it's because, you know, there's civil unrest in our nation, and we don't want to do it, and, and it's just, yeah, yeah. but we have a great podcast for you this week, as we do every week. We're going to talk about Chiefs Chargers Week 17, to the extent that it matters, which was not at all, except for the injury situation, so we'll hit that. We're going to talk about the news of the week. Uh, we got a couple of mailbag questions from our loyal Birds of War. Ka-ka! And then finally, we're going to end with a playoff preview. We're going to watch the poverty peasant playoff teams that don't have a bye duke it out on Super Wild Card Weekend. So without further ado, Taylor, Chiefs Chargers, what do you want to talk about? The only thing that mattered, like you said, the injuries. There was really, um, you know, there was no, no reason to play the game. The Chiefs had to play it anyway because it's mandated by the NFL, and they took their lumps with Willie Gay having a high ankle sprain and DeAndre Baker um, – shattering his leg which was awful and horrible yeah, and a non-contact injury like a non-contact femur break right yeah yeah he was just streaming down the sideline and you know it had been a while since he had um been active in an nfl game for very long and uh it just sucked it, it sucked for the kid it sucked for the potential of a first round pick to kind of blossom in the chief's defense and you know i mean a broken femur is not um career ending or anything but it certainly is is going to take him a while to recover and can't can't see what he's got this year and probably most of next year just sucks no, no fun yeah it was a very d reynolds-esque injury the second he hit the field every bone <laughs> in his leg shattered like glass so yeah. yeah that was unfortunate willie gay of course you know the chiefs had to play this game like you said they can't forfeit uh unfortunately the nfl makes it so that 
you know, realistically, the players don't get paid if the game doesn't get played. And the owner doesn't get paid if the game doesn't get played. The owners are in it to make money. But unfortunately, the NFL roster is such that, I mean, you just can't sit all your guys. You have to play some guys who you have ticketed to regularly play significant snaps. And we're going to play significant snaps in the Chiefs playoff game coming up here in a week. And Willie Gay presumably was one of those guys, but with the Chiefs especially being so banged up in linebacker, he had to play in this game. And unfortunately, he did get hurt. He suffered a high ankle sprain. Third snap of the game. Yes, exactly. That typically is a two to three or two to four week recovery time. So obviously two weeks would put him on track to play if – You know, he recovers in two weeks. The Chiefs play a week. The game was a week ago. Um, That would be tremendous news, obviously, if it it turns out to be the case that it's a a lighter high ankle sprain. But you just never know with ankle injuries. So, you know, worst case scenario, at least it seems like if the Chiefs make it to the AFC Champion game or certainly the Super Bowl, that he would have a chance to play then. But, man, uh, the Chiefs are hurting at linebacker, and that's something we'll talk about when we, we preview the game next week, of course. That's pretty much it. That's 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 the game. The only other thing that pissed me off was not having some of these fun streaks that I like to personally keep track of. Um, oh, yeah, of course. Whether that's the AFC West winning or whether that's the Chiefs winning streak, which was 24 out of 25 games. And there's just a lot of, you know, 15 win seasons only happened seven other times. And there's just a lot of things about what was on the line with – Lost by more than eight points for the lost first by time more than eight points. Absolutely, since what twenty seventeen uh, since the Hill Mary game? That's right, and it it's just it just kind of sucked to to take a lump like that that the Chiefs didn't need to take for the injuries more than anything. But also, you know, now you got to say, well, the Chiefs won these games, but you always have to remember that Week Seventeen game. It's just for for a person like me that likes the stats, likes the record books, likes all the the hoopla. Eh. Yeah, you can still pop an asterisk on there, but at the end of the day, a streak is a streak, and this broke a lot of streaks. It it is what it is. It also means the Chiefs finish uh, 4-2 and in the division, and there are only two losses coming in division games, which is hilarious that 4-2 and is considered to be like a big disappointment in the AFC West after they swept it last year. But uh, I don't know. I mean, it is what it is. It would be the worst Chiefs AFC West record in, I think, five years. They've yeah. either been five and one or six and zero oh for the last four seasons. So I mean, yeah, it, it was it was weird to have two losses in the AFC West, even though the one of them obviously really they did go fourteen and one. That's really what we need to focus on. It was a tremendous, tremendous regular season. They had you know every every reason to fail with all Super Bowl hangover and everybody giving them you know their best shot. Everybody always talks about you know you come in as the champ and you got targets on your back and all that stuff and the Chiefs just really um they took care of business. They they did all their necessary, you know, they didn't overlook anybody. I, I don't even think they overlooked the Raiders necessarily in week five. That was just kind of a fluke um fluke game. But they they did great. I'm very proud of the of what the boys did this year. Yeah, we'll have time for a more formal retrospective on the regular season after when we complete the season that matters, which (laughs) is the postseason, the season that's coming up in a week for the Chiefs and is starting this weekend for everybody else. So with all that being said, Taylor, it's time to talk about the news, 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 news. news. And I guess we can start where we just left off, which is with a head coaching vacancy in the AFC West. Despite the Chiefs throwing this game, to the Chargers, and allowing the Chargers to finish the season strong with four straight wins, the Chargers fired official smooth brain (laughs) fuck-up Anthony Lynn, and they are now in the market for a new head coach. 
yeah, I'm not very thrilled about that, to be honest with you. And, Me neither. Uh, it's it it was very apparent this year of all the Anthony Lynn tenure in Los Angeles that he didn't really know what the hell he was doing. He yeah. he wasn't very good at his game management. He wasn't very good at. Uh, he obviously took over special teams and they were a complete disaster. And you know, I kind of thought going into this year that he was the second best coach in the AFC West, and honestly, he might still be. But he might have been. He might have been. But Who knows? Um, he, I I really had a lot more respect for him. And then after watching the Chargers in multiple end game scenarios, just completely botch it as hard as you can. Uh, yeah, I'm convinced the guy didn't know what he was doing and he deserved to be fired, which sucks as Chiefs fans because who knows, they could bring some, you know, head coach hotshot in that's going to turn that team around or they could bring in Jason Garrett. Yeah, and they're interviewing Jason Garrett tomorrow, uh, Friday. We're recording this on January the 7th. They have a, an interview with Jason Garrett scheduled for January 8th. We're all crossing our fingers because this is actually a pretty desirable job. They have obviously yeah. Justin Herbert who set a bunch of rookie records now got to put an asterisk by those because Patrick Mahomes didn't get a play his rookie year. And obviously if he had, he'd own all the rookie records, but technically they do belong to Justin Herbert now. And you know, they've got a good young core of talent. They've got some cap space. They've got a talented roster. Now you got to bring in, you know, your, your witch doctor or whatever to, to spray all the bad juju out of that facility, mm-hmm. uh, which may be impossible to be honest <laughs> with you. It probably is impossible. It followed them from San Diego to Los Angeles. So it did. Um, yeah, it I'm did. I'm not it, sure it, if they could get not even. That's exactly right. Uh, whatever Indian burial ground, you know, their old stadium was built on, their new stadium is also built on, and the soccer stadium was also yeah. built on. So they're in the market for a head coach. The Denver Broncos, meanwhile, are not in the market for a new head coach, but they are in the market for a general manager, too. Oof, why? Well, they promoted John Elway, and I, I put that in air quotes. <laughs> John Elway was uh, – he was moved up the ladder. He promoted himself. Yeah, he was fired up, and he's now the president or whatever of the football club, whatever it is. He, he got some fancy title where he does less work, and he's been very open and honest in the interview. So he's basically like, yeah, I wanted to do less. <laughs> so, you know, I guess – I Welcome guess, to corporate America. Go up the yeah. ladder and do less. Not only that, but man, I, I got to say, we talk a lot of smack on John Elway on the show, and deservedly so. I got I to gotta give the guy some props for one thing, and that is the racket, the scam, the hustle. Yeah. This man was a mediocre quarterback, and he's got people thinking that he's one of the five greatest quarterbacks of all time. And now, instead of getting fired for being an incompetent general manager, did you know that the Broncos are the first team ever to go to a Super Bowl and then miss the playoffs the next five years in a row? I did. That's because it's been a great tweet that's been retweeted constantly because everybody likes making fun of them. That's John Elway's doing. You know, he can't find a quarterback. He's drafted several. He has Drew Locke. He has Vic Fangio. He's keeping those guys around. He's, he's a moron, but he's got a pay raise. He's going to have to do less. He's going to get paid more. It's an incredible situation for John Elway, but it is an unfortunate situation just with Anthony the same as Anthony Lynn for the chiefs, because I mean, John Elway was not doing a very good job of running that franchise. No, no, he wasn't. He he didn't make the right roster moves. He didn't make the right coaching moves. He didn't really make any correct move. The one move he made since coming to the front office in Denver was Peyton Manning. That was the one working move that he made and it won him a super bowl, which is great. But that was Peyton Manning that won him the super bowl, not John Elway. And ever since that moment, He's just shown time and time again that his talent evaluation sucks. They've been through 
a litany of quarterbacks since Peyton Manning, all of whom have been worse than the next one. And they just, they just don't have a clue. They're, they're a ship without a captain. And yeah, like you said, same reason with Anthony Lynn. If somebody comes in that knows what the hell they're doing and can actually be a competent GM, that's bad news for the chiefs. It would be the ultimate trifecta for the AFC West this week would have been the Raiders firing John Gruden too. I mean, it's the same type of, you know, like we want these guys, we want them to stay there because obviously with all of them in those other three teams, everything's worked out great for the chiefs and we want nothing to change in our three uh, rival franchises. But unfortunately uh, two of them did make the necessary moves, and we just got to hope that, like their last moves when they hired those guys, that they're not going to hire the right guys. I just want to say one more thing about the Broncos before we move, we move on. This franchise, John Elway especially, I mean, have you ever seen a luckier franchise than the Denver Broncos? No. Let me tell you something, Taylor. I, I was looking back at this the other day because, obviously, I, I wanted to dunk on Elway. And, you know, people were saying, well, he drafted Von Miller. Well, Von Miller was the second overall pick. And I was thinking about this because I'd never actually looked at this before. This draft was too far back to be embedded in my memory. You know, obviously I was aware of it happening, but I didn't have the picks committed to memory. He was the second overall pick. Do you know what the Broncos record was to earn the second overall pick that year? Um, Let me think. So Von Miller would have been like 2012 draft. I think I that's think, right. I think that's right. And so if that's the case, yeah. Oh, that was right after like the Tebow years. I think they were something like five and 11 and got this or four and 12. They were, they were they four were, and 12, four and 12. Yeah. They were, and not, they got the second overall pick. Yes, that's right. Cause nobody sucked the way that most NFL seasons have at least two or three teams that win three games or less. I mean, that's pretty, pretty standard, but yeah, that's right. I can't believe they won four games and got the second. Pick. They were in that's a three way tie with the Cincinnati Bengals and the Buffalo Bills were all four and 12. The Panthers had the first pick at two and 14 and the Broncos at a four and 12 record picked second in the draft and they got Von Miller. Anyway, unbelievable. John Elway fired up no longer the GM of the Denver Broncos. Speaking of changes at the top, we got the coaching carousel going on Taylor. There have been no new hires yet, but we've mentioned there are some teams in the market, including the chargers, And that means that there are some teams looking to poach some Chiefs coaches for their openings. And we're very used to this game by now, aren't we? We are very used to it. We're we're used to it, but it still stings a little bit. And Eric Bieniemy is once again a hot name, as he should be. He has been he has either interviewed with or the teams have requested to interview him. Every team except for one team, Taylor. What was that one team? <laughs> that one team is probably the worst run franchise in the NFL, maybe. And that would yeah. be the Houston Texans. They are completely clueless. We will get to them here in a little bit with another bit of the news. But um, yeah, they're the only team of the six that didn't even put in a request for EB. And he interviewed with all the other five teams by now, which is the Jets, the Falcons, the Lions, which I, you know, there's some of these that I've thought about him going to more than others. And I, I really like uh, the Falcons and the Lions, not only because they're in the NFC, but they do have some pieces that I think would be fun for EB. I don't want to see him go to the Jets. I don't want to see him go um, to the Jags. The, the Jags. That, that would be, be great. That'd be fun. That you, you think with the number one overall pick? Yeah, maybe that would. Maybe he yeah. would. Uh, I think it would be, I think it'd be a tantalizing situation. For they don't really team. have much else, though. I guess they've got Chark and. They've got they've got a, a lot of draft capital. They've got a lot. They got a lot of draft capital too. Yeah. So. Yeah. So anyway, so that was uh, that and was. And of course, he also interviewed with the Chargers. 
That also means, though, that there are a few names that we haven't heard any movement with. Eric Bieniemy is the only Chiefs coach that I have heard has officially been confirmed for an interview anywhere. We had some speculation a few weeks ago as we headed into the last week of the season and Black Monday and coaching vacancies all over the NFL that Mike Kafka, the Chiefs quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator, might get some interest as a head coach. And I have not seen that he is interviewed anywhere. Nope. Steve Spagnolo was asked last week or, or two weeks ago when he was in front of the media whether he would like to be a head coach again. And he said, yeah, I'd love another chance to be a head coach. He has not gotten any interviews, to my knowledge. And nobody else on the Chiefs uh, defensive coaching staff has been mentioned anywhere that I've seen either. That being said, the Carolina Panthers have an open general manager position. And they are interviewing two separate members of the Chiefs front office for that. Yeah. Cap Wizard, Brant Tillis, and player personnel guy Ryan Poles. So both of those guys were uh, selected to interview with the Carolina Panthers for their general manager position. Kind of an interesting situation. It's, it's rare, I feel like, in the NFL to see a team interview two different guys from the same organization sure. for the same job. It's sure. just, a little, yeah. just a little awkward, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like are they sitting outside the interview room next to each other and – you know, catch it up and then they call one of them in. I mean, yeah, it's just a very, very bizarre situation for sure. Um, but, you know, the this is the type of situation now that the Chiefs are going to find themselves in more and more and a situation that the Patriots found themselves in over and over and over again over the last 20 years, which is when you do something well and you do it consistently and you do it at the, the league standard, everyone's going to come after your guys every year. That's just how it's going to be. That's, that's the Chiefs are going to have to – Make sure that the foundation of Clark Hunt and Brett Veach and Andy Reid and Patrick Mahomes, you know, those four from top to bottom have to stay. And then outside of them, everyone else is going to come and go. And that's just how successful franchises do it. Um, I, I'll be happy for any Chiefs employees that get bigger promotions and pay raises and stuff and, you know, a better job at another franchise. But um, it'll be interesting kind of to see – how often this happens every year from here on out. Cause it feels like it's going to happen a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, but to be honest with you, if Eric B is the only one who leaves and so far he's the only one of the coaching staff that's gotten an interview. Sure. Boy, that would be incredible. I sure. mean, we've known that Eric B was out the door for three years. He's yeah, just, that's true. He, he well, should have been kind of already written him ago. off. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So if he's the only one that actually leaves uh, great after Nags and Peterson, you know, went back to back and yep. then EB steps in, and you kind of are just like, okay, so this is the year EB steps in and then he's going to be gone. And then the next guy, but then he never left. And it was just kind of like, we've been waiting for Kafka to take over the offensive coordinator job for two years now. So, yes. Um, so it is what it is. If he gets it, I'll be super happy for EB. I'm sure he'll do a great job. Just like all of Andy's other coaches. Now, I mean, there have been some nags and Peterson, but Peterson won a Super Bowl. you know, I mean, it, yeah. They, yeah. They've definitely been more successful than the Belichick shrub that we've talked about previously. So it is what it is, but um, I sure hope that um, EB doesn't go anywhere that stands in the chief's way. I don't really want him to go to Los Angeles. I think that would not be very fun. Um, if he could find his way to Detroit or Atlanta, I would be very stoked. Yeah, I'd, I'd like it too. And even Jacksonville or New York would be, you know, we'd play them once every what four years unless they're the top of the division still since they're not a, a divisional opponent so three years on the AFC for three yeah. years that's right three yep. years on the AFC side yep um speaking of places that he will not be going as we previously <laughs> mentioned the Houston Texans Ugh. did not request to interview Eric Bieniemy, and Ugh. 
they recently hired as their general manager, Patriots personnel guy, Nick Casario. Mm-hmm. And this is part of a whole tangled web involving the Belichick shrub <laughs> that all goes back to Jack Easterby, that villain that we've mm-hmm. talked about on the show before, former team pastor playing the little finger role. That's, that's how he's <laughs> been described by people in the organization. That's hilarious. They bring in Nick Casario and starting a couple of days ago, Deshaun Watson starts dropping some cryptic tweets you know, basically being like, oh, here we go again, you know, that kind mm-hmm. of deal. And today, the news comes out through our reliable NFL insider sources that he apparently has floated the idea of requesting a trade. So it's sort of like feelers of feelers, like I've told some people I might do it, mm-hmm. I might request a trade, that doesn't mean they have to trade him. But it's just a really interesting situation that could cause a pretty seismic shift in the NFL because obviously superstar quarterbacks, and he certainly is a superstar quarterback, just don't ever get traded, especially when they're 25 years old. You know, there's been a lot of talk today about what it would take to land him. That would obviously create a huge shakeup, you know, that amount of draft capital shifting around in the NFL. And a superstar quarterback going from one team to a different team, who knows? I mean, I, I don't see any team in the AFC West really necessarily being in the market for it. I mean, I guess Denver could make a play, but neither Denver nor Las Vegas, which are the two teams in the division that need a quarterback, neither of them have an extraordinary amount of draft capital to throw at the situation, right? No, like, they, they don't have the bullets for sure. And and really, the, the Houston problem has started at the very top. Um, Cal McNair, their owner, was talking to Deshaun Watson before they hired the GM and before they've gone on their coaching search. And he told Deshaun, according to some sources, Rap Sheet tweeted this, that he told Deshaun he would be involved with the GM and coaching hiring process and, you know, give him feedback and stuff. And then he didn't do anything when he hired Nick Casario. He didn't even tell Deshaun until the hiring. So I think that has kind of really fractured stuff there in Houston. And I read somewhere that Patrick put in a good word with Deshaun about EB and and was talking about how, you know, he'd oh, be a great fit. Yeah, and and that Deshaun was very um, pro-EB in that process. And as we've just talked about, the only team to not make a call to EB was the Texans. So I think that he's just sick. He's just he's just tired of the losing. Uh, he's tired of, you know, being one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, which there is no doubt he is one of the top quarterbacks in the NFL, and having nothing to show for it. And like you said, it would be a seismic shift. It would be absolutely one of the biggest trades in NFL history if it goes down. He is at the height of his powers right now. He was extremely good this year. When we talked about last week when you named him one of the best quarterbacks to never win a Super Bowl, we talked about his great year this year when he went 4-12 and and was on the top of the leaderboard in all the quarterback numbers and looked very, very comparable to Mahomes in a lot of categories. And I mean, the kid's amazing and he didn't have a ton of weapons to work with and they were all hurt all the time. And and he's just very, very impressive. And if they, if the Texans blow this and if they draft a guy like Deshaun Watson and don't even get him out of his rookie deal before they trade him because they screwed everything up so bad that he wanted out. I mean, that's a huge black eye on that franchise. That is a, that is a terrible, terrible look. It's hard to come back from, but it's also hard to come back from trading two first-round picks for a left tackle. Exactly. One of which, one of which ends up being the third overall pick in the draft. Yeah, Miami so the, is laughing their asses off. The Dolphins are are 10-6, and six and they're picking third. Yeah, the Dolphins are going to be trading for Deshaun Watson. They're going to say, hey, do you want the third overall <laughs> you want pick, this pick back? back. <laughs> yeah. 
We'll give you that plus a couple second round picks and we'll take Deshaun Watson. You could have yeah. Tua Vailoa. That's fine. Uh, speaking of seismic shifts, one other news item on the agenda for today, Taylor. Dustin Colquitt returns to the Chiefs. Practice squad. You want to talk about seismic shifts in the NFL? Don't talk to me about trading John Watson. This is the biggest news of the day. Dustin Colquitt, longtime Chiefs punter, returns to Kansas City. What a feel-good story that is. It was it, it kind of left a sour taste in a lot of our mouths, especially people that paid attention to kind of how Colquitt left, which was yeah. unceremoniously, and, and he wanted to be back. And he not kinda, on the best terms. Not on the best terms at all. Um, he had an Instagram story where he was saying that this is not my decision and blah, blah, blah. And, and he went to Pittsburgh, and it didn't work out in Pittsburgh, and they even went back to Jordan Berry as their punter before, you know, I think week five or six or something. They tried Colquitt out, and it didn't work out. Uh, so they cut him, and the Chiefs um, – Part of this could be having a backup in place for Tommy Townsend because his brother was Johnny Townsend was just recently picked up. Um, I forget who pulled him away from the the Ravens. That's right. Thank you. So the Ravens pulled away Johnny Townsend. And so then the chiefs are probably looking for a COVID backup punter anyway. And old friend was available. And you know, if you, if he wants to get a second ring in the process, I don't even think you need to be an active member of the, 53 i think you can just get a ring if you're on the practice squad so could be cool it, it was a good good signing all around i'm sure everybody feels great about it they'll find a way to get him a super bowl ring for sure uh even if he's just on the practice squad for the playoffs did you know that he punted in a game for jacksonville this year no i didn't i thought he went from pittsburgh to the unemployment line That's funny. he did go to pittsburgh to the unemployment line but then in week 16 he was signed by the jaguars who must have then cut him after that in a 41 to 17 loss to the Chicago Bears. So that's it for the news. We're going to get into the mailbag, and we're going to start off with a lengthy question from our man, James McGregor, one of our longtime original Birds of War. James says, so I was listening to this week's show, and I realized it's been a while since I last provided a mailbag question. Appreciate you, James, for your contributions as always. I promise I haven't missed a single show. Life has just been kicking my ass lately. Get you, get you there, man. We've been, we've been there too. Anyway, here's one for y'all as we head into the playoffs soon. Might be getting ahead of myself, but I know many, myself included, would love to see a Chiefs-Packers Super Bowl, a.k.a. the State Farm Bowl, yeah. a.k.a. a rematch of Super Bowl One in the first year of the second century of the NFL, which is true. Hmm. That's, that's yeah, very interesting. Yeah. My question is twofold. Number one, what is your really quick game preview and strategy to win against the Pack? And serious answer, don't just say play Mahomes. Yeah, that's fair. And number two, thinking creatively, what would make for the most epic State Farm Super Bowl commercial starring Mahomes, Rogers, and Jake from State Farm? Love this question, James. Appreciate you listening as always. Hope the roads are treating you well. Um, I would say to start with the easier question, which is the matchup, the game matchup. Um, Clearly the defense, the Chiefs defense is going to have to bring their A game to this game because the Packers offense is as deadly as they come. They've got yep. a tremendous line, a tremendous quarterback, tremendous talent on the outside with Devontae Adams. They are the total, total package on offense. And the Chiefs fortunately have excelled against opponent wide receivers this year. They allowed the fewest I, I want to say receiving yards to opponent to starting wide receivers in the NFL. Um, that sounds right to me. And they've, they've really, the secondary has been playing great and they would have to bring that. Absolutely. Um, you know, the, the, the strategy would obviously involve a team in the Packers that didn't turn the ball over at all this year uh, very much. They were the number one team in giveaways 
Chiefs would have to turn them over. You'd have to hope for, for two, but you would need at least one. Um, and then from there, you've got to punch it in in the red zone because you know the Packers. The, the Packers had nine one-yard touchdown passes this year from Aaron Rodgers, which was just – I mean, you can call some of it stat padding, but I think what it comes down to is that that's their most effective method of getting the ball across the end zone. Sure. is, is Rodgers and, and Devontae Adams and those guys. So um, the Chiefs would have to punch it in when they get in the red zone. That's something that the Chiefs have struggled with this year. They would need to convert sixes because they know the Packers would, and you got to win a shootout. That's, that's what it's going to have to come down to. It would be a very interesting matchup for sure. Yeah, yeah, it, for sure it is. I mean, uh, if we look at EPA, which is a metric that we both like, expect points added, it's been interesting because really right up until week 17, the Chiefs and the Packers have been almost – complete mirror images of each other. They've had yeah. the two most efficient offenses in the NFL on a per play basis, and they have about average defenses. So that really does add up to a shootout. That's, that's what it points towards. And I think your point about bringing pressure and trying to generate turnovers is well taken because, you know, I, I mean, frankly, just the, the strengths in, of each team in this matchup and the weaknesses of each team in this matchup really does lend itself to a major shootout, almost like, the Super Bowl between, you know, Foles and the Patriots a couple years ago, or yeah. the no punt game going back to 2003, you know, that's the kind of game that you could probably expect. So I think the margins there, you know, things like red zone efficiency, things like turnover differential, things like special teams, you know, uh, if the Chiefs could get a big return, we've talked about our disdain for, you know, special team scores because we don't get to pad Patrick Mahomes' yeah. stats. Right. But, you know, a big return in a game like that can make the difference too. And so, you know, looking forward to that matchup, if that is the Super Bowl matchup, obviously we'll break it down in much more detail then. But this is strength on strength – or strength on weakness, strength on weakness is kind yeah. of the, the way this matchup projects. And so, man, it would just be – in addition to the historical significance of it, obviously being a Super Bowl one rematch, being a State Farm Bowl, you know, being, you know, the as much as in the NFL. yeah, exactly, as much as Mahomes versus Brady was of great historical consequence, as much as Mahomes versus Breeze a couple of weeks ago was of great historical consequence, this would be this would be a huge game between two of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the position in the NFL. It would be fantastic. I I would love to see it happen. And they haven't been matched up yet on the field because yeah, Mahomes that's right. missed because the, Mahomes the one game that the Packers have played the Chiefs since Mahomes came here. So it's uh, it, it, the hype would be out of control, and I'm, I'm really hoping it happens. Yeah, it would be great. So with respect to part two, the most epic State Farm Super Bowl commercial starring Mahomes, <laughs> Rodgers, and Jake from State Farm. Where, what's your take on this? What direction are you going on this? Uh, you know, each quarterback has some acting chops, not only in their State Farm commercials. Well, Rogers mostly in the State Farm commercials, but uh, Mahomes has been doing his his acting stuff, you know, kind of outside of State Farm. He's got all the brand endorsements and all that stuff. And I think it would be really funny to have some sort of like almost like a mini play, like an act off between the two where mm, they've I got, like um, you know, maybe they're like filming a movie, like a State Farm movie. That would be pretty good. And it's like on the set. And Mahomes and Rogers are both playing like opposing like cowboy and and villain characters or something like that, and something that they can really both have some some good lines and some some Hollywood flair and kind of you know really really brush up on the acting because I feel like that's where um, that would be pretty epic with both of them already having so much exposure in other commercials. So I'm gonna go with like a Hollywood movie set. That's gonna be my my commercial. 
Do you remember, I had to, to look this up to remember the specifics. Do you remember those uh, Michael Jordan, Mia Hamm commercials, like early 2000s, anything Man, you can do, I can do better? I, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's about all I remember is anything you can do, I can do better. But Yeah, um, well, well yeah. I don't remember the details either. But that that phrase, that song, you know, musical theater, Rodgers and the Hammerstein stuck in my head. And, yeah. you know, that would be a fun angle, I feel like, to take on it. Like, almost just Certainly. like, you know, and... You know, it's commercial, so like, yeah, some of it would be staged, whatever. You know, like, yeah. show me Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes competing in feats of athletic skill and talent mm-hmm. in a commercial. I feel like that would be pretty epic. That sells the product. You know, they're like throwing it out of the stadium, whatever it would be. I mean, and that's very on brand because they've had like Rodgers driving the golf ball and he drives it a mile, or throwing catch with his dog and he throws it in the atmosphere, and Mahomes doing the cornhole and he looks blind and throws it in. Yeah, I mean, yeah. they've all their State Farm commercials have kind of already shown both of those guys doing superhuman athletic feats. So I think bringing those together and having it being a competition, that's perfect. I love that. I hope we get to see it. I hope we get to see another Super Bowl ad featuring the two starting quarterbacks. That would be fantastic. We got a question here from Peter Yadrich, one of our longtime Birds of War. He asks, and this is a question more geared towards me, my favorite StarCraft II build. Boy, it's been a long time since I've played StarCraft II at a reasonably competitive level. It's a very hard game. If you don't play it, it's like it's like physical fitness or jogging or whatever. Like if you if you step away from the StarCraft II for like a week, you suck again. And I was never that good to begin with, but I did have an, an amazing, incredible build in two v twos. Okay, so you know teams, whatever. Casuals play team games. That's fine. I'm a casual, whatever. So I used to do in Wings of Liberty, going back to the original StarCraft II. We had this fantastic six minute rush build that I used to do with my brother who played Protoss, which, you know, very cheesy, very garbage race. Okay. So he would rush. Protoss? Yeah. Oh, oh nice. no, they're bullshit. And okay. Peter, this is for you, buddy. Cause you know, Protoss is bullshit. Um, my brother would, would rush an immortal. So immortals, they're like really tanky. They're good against armor and their, their shields, like they can take big hits and they reduce them down to a fixed amount of damage. So unless you had like a, a lot of high DPS units, they, they really good at tanking stuff. And then I would build Hellions, reactor Hellions, shitloads of Hellions. Hellions are these really fast. They're kind of like the vulture from Starcraft one, mm-hmm. except they have a flamethrower. So they shoot in a line and they hit everything in a specific line. So they're really good against like swarms and stuff like that. So right? they're like so, vulture fire bats. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. A little bit. Yeah. They're like super, but they, but he's shooting like a long line, not in like a, you know, a big okay. cloud, like a fire bat would. Gotcha. So we would rush these together and the Hellions can kill, like, you know, whether it's Marines or Zerglings or whatever your, your basic tier one units are that have a high DPS that can take out Immortals. Oh, they get fucked by Hellions. Mm. Okay. And then everything else, you know, like a Siege Tank. Oh, a Siege Tank is going to get its shit rocked by an Immortal, right? Sure. So you, you get the Immortal, you go up, you bust their bunker, their Siege Tank, whatever it would be. The Hellions go into their mineral rind, kill all their workers. It was fantastic. Now, there was nothing in there that could shoot air. So, you know, if they, like, built a banshee and like came and killed all your workers Eh, so be it (laughs) then you have to just kill their base you know you have to base race them whatever it would be so peter uh sometime i hope we get to play 2v2s man and we can uh, rock the old uh the old horse pyre build it's uh it was a classic (laughs) high masters in 2v2s which is probably the highest i ever placed in any starcraft 2 league so appreciate the question peter i love it i played a crap ton of starcraft one but never got into two you ever played uh, dirty tank defenders 
Dirty tank defenders. No, no, I didn't. Was that a <laughs> yeah. used map settings on StarCraft One? Uh, of course, it was a USM map, and it was a tower defense game. But sure. as I was you, Matrix uh, defense, that was my that was my jam. Yeah, as you um as you got through the game, you know it would it would show more pictures in the mini map of a, a naked chick. Ooh, you know, that somebody saucy. made somebody made in the mini map with you know StarCraft terrain somehow. It just it it was uh yeah. Man, thirteen year old me would have been way into that. I know. I know. Cool. You know, it was, uh, yeah. Our final uh, mailbag question of the day is also from a bird of war regular, Mr. Jordan Scarin. And he asked, with knowing what we do now, and you could go back in time to post Mahomes draft picks, who would you pick and why? So we've kind of just, the, that's three drafts. That's 2018, the 2019, and 2020. Yeah. Um, Austin, why don't you go through your 2018 thoughts? Well, 2018 is a pretty obvious one. This is the first draft after Patrick Mahomes. This is the first Brett Veach draft. This is the infamous Breland Speaks draft. And Woof. the Chiefs traded up to take Breland Speaks at pick number 46 in that draft. And I'll tell you what, Taylor, I obviously anybody but Breland Speaks would have been a good selection here. Yeah. But this draft actually didn't end up with a whole lot of superstar talent after pick 46. So no. the very next pick was Christian Kirk, a wide receiver for the Arizona Cardinals. He's had a decent little career in the same round, the second round, Jesse Bates, safety for Cincinnati. He's had a decent little career. Yep. Uh, Brian O'Neill in Minnesota, a tackle. He's had a decent career. Dante Fred Jackson, Warner. the cornerback for Carolina. Fred Warner is probably the slam dunk pick there. You're right. Yeah. Fred Warner, obviously, um, linebacker for the 49ers who we saw in the Super Bowl. He's a very good player. He was taking a pick number 70. He, he's probably the he's probably the choice there. Michael Gallup uh, in the third round of that draft, he's a pretty good player. Orlando Brown tackle for the Ravens, he's a pretty good player. Yeah. Mark Andrews at tight end. It would have been pretty fun to have Mark Andrews and Travis Kelsey on the same. Jeez. You've got some choices there, but to be honest with you, the, the players after Speaks, they're all better than Breland Speaks, don't get me wrong, because – he obviously yeah. massive, tremendous bust. Uh, but yeah, I think you, you've got some options there. You got some options. Yep, exactly. And then 2019, there's the one big thing that everybody talks about in the 2019 draft. Oh, it's so obvious. And that is obviously McCole Hardman in the second round. He, you love to hate him. I love him, but I know that he's been getting some flack. And of course, it's it's less about McCole and more about the player that was taken in. Ugh in the second round and of course we're talking about the one the only the freak the last pick of the second round dk metcalf so and you know metcalf was the i think the seventh or eighth wide receiver taken in yeah. this draft um, oh super late because after mccall the eagles took jj arfega whiteside who has barely done anything in his nfl career yeah, he's even worse than mccall yeah he is he's a he's a unmitigated bust um the colts took paris campbell who's got some talent he's definitely been fine uh but not obviously anything like dk and then arizona took andy isabella who's just fine um but yeah none of those guys have really done anything no i mean dk is is already at age 21 one of the best wide receivers in the nfl and he obviously blew up onto the scene russ wilson's got the big deep bomb that he's been able to hook up with him a lot this year and um it's pretty unfair to compare all the other wide receivers in this draft 
uh, to DK. Although AJ Brown was taken by Tennessee a couple picks before the Chiefs did, and yes. he's obviously held held his own very well. I think he's an excellent, excellent player. And uh, yeah, six picks before the Chiefs took McColl. Exactly. So there were some interesting wide receiver picks here. Uh, the, the Terry McLaurin went in the third round. Terry McLaurin went in the third round, and that would be obviously, you know, DK's a, a you know, once in a draft type of home run hit there for Seattle, but Terry McLaurin would look amazing in this offense as most wide receivers would. But um, yeah, that's kind of the, that's really the the big regret from 2019. And honestly, it's more about DK than it is about McColl. Obviously Juan Thornhill was a great pick. Uh, Rashad Fenton's worked out pretty well. Um, Darwin Thompson was in that draft. He he looked pretty good in week 17. He had some, some nice wiggle. And he was a sixth rounder. So, you know, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So really the only, regret there i would say is mccall and then yeah, yeah, 20, before we yeah. go to 2019 sure yeah yeah yeah. can we just throw in a quick dig at the patriots and nick casario <laughs> who's the new gm of the uh, houston texans sure do you want to know what the patriots did at wide receiver in that draft in 2019 would that be Nikhil harry it would be at pick 32 in the draft the second wide receiver off the board so the first two wide receivers in this draft were marquise hollywood brown and Nikhil Harry, those were the only two wide receivers to go in the first round. Oh, yeah. They both have been – I mean, Hollywood's had some moments. Nikhil Harry's been an unmitigated – no he, He's been yeah. absolutely horrific. Yeah. And then at pick 36, Debo Samuel, who's been great uh, when yeah. he hasn't been hurt, and yeah. A.J. Brown at pick 51. Those were the next two wide receivers off the board. And so, really, if you compare McColl to Marquise Brown or Nikhil Harry, eh, that pick doesn't look so bad. Yeah. Yep. That's fair. I would definitely agree with that. Uh, 2020, man, it's really hard to poke some holes in that other than oh, everybody. Super hard. Um, you know, the everyone after the first pick, Willie Gay, Lucas Niang, Legereus Sneed, Mike Dana, Takarius Keys, they they were great. Every, everybody, every one of those picks uh, was a home run hit, except Clyde. Um, there's There's a lot of differing opinions on whether even given his good rookie year, whether that was still worth it. Um, there were obviously some players in 2020 that, um, you could envision the chiefs having like some wide receivers. There was T Higgins went to Cincinnati and had a pretty good rookie year. Michael Pittman really came on at the second half of Indianapolis. His first half, he was kind of non-existent, but they really started going to him in the second half. And I think he was excellent. Um, LaVisca Chenault had a pretty good end of the year for Jacksonville. He's very, very versatile. He's kind of a running back wide receiver combo. Jonathan Taylor, who was the uh, the second or the third running back pick, DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor were after Clyde. Both of them absolute home runs for their teams. Um, Swift was really, really the second half star for Detroit. And Jonathan Taylor, boy, the last four or five games of his rookie year, he looked like a absolute stud. Um, Yeah, he finished third in the NFL in rushing. Yeah, yeah, he was he was fantastic this year. But, you know, the other thing about that is usage. And I'm not so sure if Clyde and Jonathan Taylor switched spots, if Clyde wouldn't have been third in the NFL in rushing, and Jonathan Taylor would have been, you know, used every now and then the way the Chiefs kind of used Clyde. So um, a lot of that is just really the focus on the, the scheme and the offense and stuff. But a couple of those picks there, and th- those were just the immediate ones after Clyde. Um, obviously, you've got you know, Chase Claypool down at uh, pick 49, who is gigantic and, and really came on for the Steelers. Jeremy Chin. Um, Jeremy Chin. Jeremy Chin had that insane 
back-to-back snaps of returning a fumble for a touchdown for Carolina earlier this year, which was the obviously the only time in the NFL history that a defensive player has returned two consecutive snaps for touchdowns. Um, so yeah, it's uh, there were a lot of good players in this draft. There were there were it was a great draft. It, it was a really good draft. The, the rookies really in a year that you would have kind of expected rookies to take a step back with all the COVID stuff and all the you know hard to maybe download the playbook with everything going on. They, they really, I felt like this year, I kept looking at every team and being like, damn, they've got some pretty good rookies. So yeah. Uh, but, and that included the chiefs, great 2020 draft for the chiefs. So thank you, uh, Jordan, for your banger mailbag pick. As always, we appreciate your contributions. And now we're going to do our final segment of the show called what is, is happening? happening? where we look at what is happening around the NFL. And this week, the only thing that is happening around the NFL is the playoffs. Playoffs. So we're going to go through and talk about all six games that are happening this weekend and just do Super Wild Card Saturday. Super Wild Card Saturday and Sunday and just do our little breakdown of kind of the matchups and who we think is going to win and uh, what that might look like in the following round if that happens. So I'll go in order of... Uh, chronological order, starting with the first game of the weekend, which is going to be a noon game on Saturday. Very, very intriguing, especially for us AFC fans, which is the two-seeded Buffalo Bills against the seven-seeded Colts. This uh, Vegas line on this is Buffalo by six. It's going to be in Orchard Park. It's going to be the Bills looking to maintain the momentum that they've built up over their last Oh, basically since the bye week, their, their last six games, they have won by double digits in all six games uh, and increasing in number from 10 points to 11 points to 29 and 30. So they've, they've been uh, blowing the doors off of people recently. And next up in line for them is the Colts who play a pretty good brand of defense. They've got Philip Rivers, who uh, has been pretty decent this year on, you know, being kind of, kind of the Philip Rivers of, the, the good Philip Rivers, he hasn't really been turning the ball over a lot and making a lot of dumb decisions and stuff like that. So it, it could be very interesting. A lot of people are kind of, um, I want to say like trendy picking the upset here of the Colts just because the Bills are so hot and they kind of feel like, you know, no one's given the Colts a chance and that stuff. But I don't know. I find it very hard to pick against the Bills right now. They are um, on fire and they look really good on both sides of the ball. Josh Allen's playing out of his mind. Stephon Diggs is one of the best receivers in the game. Their defense has really, really come around since the midseason ass kickings they got by a couple of the teams, including the Titans and the Chiefs. Um, And, you know, they were a uh, Kyler Murray Hail Mary away from being 14-2 and this year. So, I mean, they they were – very, very good all year long. Um, I think that continues this Saturday, and I've got them over the Colts something like I bet they put up about 31. Colts probably make it a game late. I'm going to go like 31-24. I think that's a fair prediction. I'm not going to pick the upset, but I think the I think the Colts have a chance to keep this game close at least, and certainly a one-score game would be close. I mean, this is an interesting matchup because it really is strength on strength. Um, the Bills' offense against the Colts' defense and weakness on weakness. The Colts' offense really is not great, and the Bills' defense hasn't been great either. So it'll be really interesting to see kind of what they put together. But this is a this is a fun one because Frank Reich and Sean McDermott really are two of the best coaches in this playoff field outside of Andy Reid. One of them is going to be going home. 
obviously the dream scenario here is that the Colts win this game. That would mean the Colts would play the Chiefs in round two. And you have to think that if they win this game, the Colts certainly are going to have a hell of a fight on their hands. They're not going to roll into Arrowhead in the second round of the playoffs, you know, well-rested and, you know, hmm. completely healthy and ready to go. Um, sure. It would be great to see the Colts pull the upset. The Chiefs will for sure play them. If they win the game, the Chiefs, that that sets the playoff matchup right there. And it would take the second best playoff team in the AFC field out of the race. So if you're a Chiefs fan, you got to be rooting for the Colts upset. And that's what you pointed out last week, which is the biggest part here. It's it's much less about Indy moving on as it is about Buffalo going home. And, and that's where, you know, if Chiefs fans have the opportunity to watch the second best team in the AFC bracket go home, it doesn't matter how scared you are of Indy or how, you know, whatever the case may be, you need to embrace that. That would be a big, big boon for the Chiefs to see Buffalo not ever um, advance in the playoffs. So, uh, yes, I think that is pretty obvious there. Um, I'm very, very, we've talked about Josh Allen many times on the pod, just from the beginning of the pod where he was basically a joke and now where he is a bona fide MVP candidate and yeah, his turnaround has been remarkable. He's made everybody look dumb. He couldn't hit the broadside of a barn in college and really even in his first two years in the NFL, he really didn't look like he was capable of making this ascent. And then he gets a guy on the outside like Diggs that can come down with a lot of his you know, a lot of the balls that he can throw up there. And man, the Bills just put everything together this season. And I do think maybe, and this is probably more narrative than anything, but I think the the exit of Tom Brady from the AFC East, if I were a Bills fan and I was tortured by Tom Brady for 20 years and never thought my team stood a chance of, you know, doing much of significance while he was around. And then when he leaves, Like, I think that's got to give that whole franchise a shot in the arm, as it probably did the Dolphins, too, of just like, all right, he's gone. We got to step up. We got to kind of take things seriously now because they're not there to be in our way. And I just think that maybe the Bills really benefited from uh, the Patriots taking a big step back this year, mentally at least. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. And it's going to be fascinating to see how this one turns out. What's our second game on the The tap? second game at 340 is uh, a game that I'm not, I guess, super looking forward to, but it could be pretty interesting. And that is Rams Seahawks. And so huh. that on the NFC side, that's the three versus the six, the, the three Ram or the three Seahawks and the six Rams. And that line is Seattle by only three and a half. So it's supposed to be a, a decently close game according to Vegas. And it's going to be played in Seattle. Um, it's it's a game that might not and probably won't, I believe, have Jared Goff. I believe this will still be um, – John Wolford. John Wolford. AF legend. Yeah, exactly. And so that kind of takes some juice away from the Rams on offense, obviously. Um, Does it, though? <laughs> yeah. Well, that's fair. You know, I mean, Jared Goff's never really been – um super yeah, special but yeah so, you know but who, it, who knows it's still um it's kind of it has the makings of just kind of like an ugly nfc game that's oh like, it's gonna be super ugly i'm not know, gonna 17, contest that at all or something i mean it's just not it, it's there, there's really not gonna be a lot going on there um i haven't really been super impressed with seattle down the stretch as most people i think would agree with they've just kind of they kind of lost some of that that magic that they had early on in the year um they lost games to the bills they did lose a game at the rams um, early in the season, and then they beat the Rams late in the season. So the t- two teams split their divisional matchups this year. And then when the Seahawks lost to the Giants, I was just kind of like, "All right, I'm probably not going to take probably not take take this team seriously anymore." So um, I'm going to just for shits and giggles, I'm going to pick the Rams here, seventeen thirteen. 
1713 Rams. I don't think I made a prediction for the first game, so I, I need to circle back. Go I'm going to – what the hell? I'm going to say Colts 27, Bills 24. And Ooh, for this game – yeah, sure, why not? Um, for this game, I'm going to pick – I'll take Seattle uh, over the fighting John Wolfords, but <laughs> I do think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to go with something even funkier. I'm going to go with 1917 for this game. All right. All right, I love it. That's I summoned so, one team in this game is going to score 19 points because 19 is like the weirdest, ugliest number of points you can score. Uh-huh. Yep. Except for two. <laughs> I love it. So um, ugly NFC game out of the way. Uh, the much more intriguing and entertaining NFC matchup of Saturday will be the final, the nightcap, the 7-15 game. And this will be the fight in Alex Smith's. This will be the Washington yes. football team. And their four-seeded, seven-win team taking on the GOAT himself, Mr. Tom Brady, and the 11-5 and five Bucks. This line is Tampa Bay minus eight, which I don't know if I'm going to bet on any of these games, but if I am, I'm probably hammering Washington on that because, I, I, you know, Tampa might win, but I really, really like the chances of this game being close late. I just think that Washington plays great defense. I, I'm not sure. Tom Brady's four and four in his career on in road playoff games. Yeah, which is stupid good. that of his 30 playoff wins, only four of them have come on the road. Oh, it's he ridiculous. The worst. But um, AFC East, baby. Yeah, exactly right. So um, I really like this game to be close. I think I'm probably still going to lean the Bucks way, but I think it's going to come down to a late field goal, and I'm going to go 27-24 bucks over football team but it should be really fun uh before i make a prediction in this game did you see that tom brady set an nfl record this year and i want you to guess what's that he set an nfl record he set an nfl record okay so i'll ask first does it have to do with his age it does not have to do with his age he did set records for that as well but this is a this is a statistic that he set a record in this season (laughs) okay awesome um is it does it have to do with throwing interceptions? Uh, no, but it does have to. It's of a similar vein, but it's not. It's not technically interceptions, and it's not interceptable passes. But okay. you're you're kind of you're kind of right. Passer here. rating? It's not passer rating. You're never okay, going to get tell, it. I'm yeah, just okay, going to tell me. you what it is. Yep. He set a record for most ever defensive pass interference penalties drawn. <laughs> oh shit! That's great. With, with 23, oh and the God. previous record was 19. He shattered it. He shattered oh, he it. He had by, 23 this year. Yes, he drew 23 defensive pass interference penalties this year as a passer. And the record was 19. He shattered it. And that is just perfect classic Tom Brady, right? Like yeah. it just is. Yep. It's it's just a statement in my opinion about what trash ass brand of football he plays at 43 years old. I'm not going to pick the football team in this game. But I agree that the game will be close. I think if the defensive line of Washington can, you know, if they can get pressure on Brady, which is what it feels like we've been saying that for like 20 years. Yeah, for but, his whole career, absolutely. Except, except he's actually legitimately bad against pressure now. As <laughs> in Washington has Chase Young. So, and they have I mean, Chase Young. I mean, they've, they've got the juice. You know, Washington is one of those teams, and this is like Alex Smith for whatever you want to say about him as a quarterback his teams have this magical mystical ability to like always score, you know, whatever, however many points it is to make it like a one possession game, right? Yep. Like he's yep. not going to he get, blown, get blown, out. blown out. He's not going to get blown out. He's not going to blow anybody out. It's going to be a close game at the end. And I'm going to say Tampa wins it 
I'm going to say Washington also scores 19 in this game. Nice. It's 24 to 19. 19 is my, now my go-to number. For <laughs> Someone this weekend is scoring 19. And Somebody in the NFC line. this weekend is scoring yeah. 19 points. So uh, that takes care of the slate on Saturday. Some very interesting games, two NFC games. Um, should, be, should be a fun start. And then, of course, the Sunday slate will be a lot of fun too. Starting off with um, – yeah, maybe my most intriguing game of the weekend, or or certainly maybe the second, which would be the four five in the AFC, the eleven oh, yeah. and five Ravens, the eleven mm-hmm. and five Titans, the grudge match, the, Super the third, the third matchup in a calendar year between these two teams after obviously the Titans broke the hearts of the Ravens um, last year in the playoffs, and then Derrick Henry in overtime this year had a walk-off rushing touchdown against the Ravens. In the uh, shape of an L. In the shape of an L. He handed the Ravens an L. It was hilarious. Uh, so, this game has a ton of juice, and I want you to, if you haven't looked it up already, guess what Vegas says the line for this game is. Ooh, I have not looked it up, so I will guess. I'm going to say, so this game is in Tennessee, correct? It is because in they're the AFC, right. they're the AFC South winner. That is correct. I'm going to say that, uh, ooh, Gosh, I'm going to say it's it's probably like one and a half in one way, one direction or the other. That's a three point swing. Guess which one and a half it would be if you're if you're leaning one side or the other. I'm going to say that the Ravens are favored in this game. Okay, so that is not the direction that I would have anticipated. I would have favored the Titans in in my my gut feeling here with the the way that the Ravens kind of. I don't know, just blew out bad teams and didn't really like the Titans were to me a much more impressive team this year. And even though they're both 11 and five, however, you were correct. The line is Baltimore by three and a half and, hmm, and three and a half. Wow. Yeah. Three and a half. I mean, first of all, I was just surprised to see Baltimore favorite, but three and a half means that over a field goal, favorite. Yeah, more so, than a field goal. That's surprising. which means if this were a neutral site, cause usually Vegas gives three points to the home team, it would be a six and a half point Baltimore favorite. Although Maybe this they're year, not been, they're yeah, not doing three points. Don't did you see what the record for home teams was this year? Yeah, it wasn't as good as road teams. They it they was were one twenty seven and one twenty eight and one. So <laughs> road teams were then one twenty eight and one twenty seven and one. But um, yeah, the road teams had a better record than home teams in the NFL this year, which I thought huh. was very interesting. But maybe you know the the fans and all that that probably has a lot to do with it. So anyway, so this game. Um, it's very intriguing the 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 way these two teams have matched up over the last calendar year with the Titans taking both games have gone you know pretty much uh, the way that the Titans would script the game, which is that they they run, they play good defense, they kind of hold the Ravens' crazy rushing attack at, at bay, and Derrick Henry has a big game, Brian Tannehill has a big game. That's what they've done to this team, and I would say I don't think that. You can really keep beating a team over and over again, but the Chiefs have kept beating the Ravens over and over again. I know. And and I do kind of feel like the Ravens seem like a team that doesn't hold up well against good teams. They just have they've been blowing out bad teams. They only defeated two teams this year with a positive point differential, one of which was the Washington football team, which I was surprised the seven and nine football team had a plus six point differential on the year. But really the Ravens only good win of the year was against the Colts where they beat them 24, 10 and the Colts are obviously a positive point differential, good playoff team. So that being said, I am taking the Titans in this game. Um, hmm. I think the Ravens are going to exhaust their, 
uh, emotions early in this and the Titans are going to punch him in the mouth and the Ravens won't have a response. I think the Titans go away in this and probably end up winning by 17. So I'm going to say this is 37, 20 Titans over Ravens. Wow. Um, that I, I was going to say it qualifies as a bold prediction, but like Lamar Jackson's never won a playoff game Yeah, and he hasn't beaten the Titans in a calendar year. And I agree. Like, I think there is something to be said for, for sure. The Ravens are really good at blowing out bad teams. Like they beat the shit out of bad teams. Really and bad. Yes. They did it last year. They did it to close their schedule this year. They just ended the year. They ended up having the best point differential again in the NFL this year yep. because they just blew teams out for the last six weeks of the season. Just for the, just for the listeners, I'm just going to go over those. That is a 34, 17 yeah. win over the Cowboys a 47-42 win over the Browns, who actually did end the year with a negative point differential despite winning 11 games. A, and then the three that really, really did it for him was a 40-14 to win over the worst team in the NFL, the Jags, a 27-13 win over the Giants, and then they ended the year with a 38-3 dismantling of the Bengals. Yeah, I mean, listen, the, the Ravens did this last year too. And, you know, the reason that you would pick against – the Ravens in this game is, or the reason that you would pick the Ravens in this game is because the Titans have had a really bad defense this year, like bad, like bottom five defense, the NFL defense. But I kind of think, you know, their defense wasn't really that good last year. It was nope. fine. It was better than it is this year, but it wasn't that good, but they shut the Ravens down last year. They made Lamar throw 50 plus times in that game. He was really inefficient. The Titans stopped them several times on fourth down in that game. I think there's something to, and and the Chiefs have done this as well. You know, I think there's something to defensive coordinators or defensive head coaches in this case with Mike Vrabel, Steve Spagnuolo, taking away what makes the the Ravens offense tick. Now, Mm -hmm. you know, Lamar Jackson's obviously a, a dynamic player. But I wouldn't actually be surprised to see the Titans come out with a game plan that's going to shut him down a little bit. I, I'm i going to pick the Ravens, but I think it's going to be a close game. I'm going to say it's going to be 28-27 Ravens, one-point game. But, you know, we should say this game here, if the six and seven seeds both lose, so if the Colts and the Browns lose to the Bills and the Steelers respectively yes. – the winner of this game is going to get the Chiefs. And yep. before we go on to preview the last AFC game, this game, I like the way that this bracket is shaped up for the Chiefs, no matter who wins this game, because this game, we know from the previous two matchups in the last year with these two teams, this game is going to be extremely physical. These teams really have a lot of hatred for each other. Yeah. And, you know, whoever wins this game is going to come out of it you know, like they came, like the Titans came out of their, their game with the Bengals in the playoffs last year, or not the Bengals, the Ravens last mm-hmm. year, you know, it's, it's an emotional game. It's going to take a physical toll on them. And, you know, if the chiefs have to play one of these two teams, both of which they've, I mean, I don't want to say they've owned the Titans. They obviously lost the Titans in the regular season last year, but it was a fluke game. They dominated the Titans and they lost because of some dumb special team shit and injuries yeah. and all yes. kinds of other stupid crap. They kind of dominated them in the playoffs. I mean, the final score was pretty close until the end, but they really kind of beat them wire to wire. And obviously the Chiefs own the Ravens. So whoever wins this game, if this is the Chiefs matchup, you know, versus the four or the five, the Titans or the Ravens. Yeah. I kind of like the way it's shaped up for the Chiefs. I I agree with that for sure. For the record, both of these teams lost their 
following game after they played each other earlier in the year. Interesting. The Titans lost to the Browns and the Ravens lost to the Steelers. So Interesting. So they they probably did take a lot out of each other. It was an overtime game. They they Now were, that Steelers loss was the uh that was the RG3 game, right? Uh I believe that was the first Steelers matchup. Oh, oh. maybe it was. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I yeah, yeah, cuz that was earlier in the year. Yes, yes. So um so yeah, so it's very um it's a very good like you said, good shape of the bracket for the Chiefs. If those two teams have to, if the winner of that has to come to Arrowhead, I don't envy that team, no matter who it is. The three o'clock game is probably my, uh, I don't know, maybe Rams Seahawks was my least favorite game of the, of the weekend, but Bears Saints doesn't do a lot. For Ugh, it's yeah. disgusting. I don't even it, want to talk about this game. Okay. It's, it's New Orleans by 10 in Vegas. So I'm going to just stick with Vegas. I'm going to go 23, 13 Saints. I hate this game. I can't believe that the Chicago Bears are in the playoffs. It disgusts me. The NFC disgusts me. They disgust everyone. <laughs> They're a pit of despair. They, they put a seven and nine team and an eight and eight team in the playoffs. It's yeah. shameful. It's disgusting. I, I the Bears lost to the Packers and they still backed into the playoffs. Mitchell Trubisky is starting a playoff game for the second time in his career. And I, I don't know. I mean, I like Matt Nagy, but like ugh, this Bears team is just gross. I don't like watching them. I certainly don't want to watch them in a playoff game in prime time on a Sunday afternoon. I hope the saints just absolutely dismantle them. And I think that they will. I think the saints win this game by three scores. What three scores? Give me we're, I'm I'm doing this whole thing. I'm going to post. Oh, you're going to do it. Okay. Okay. Yeah, okay. Yeah. So I I'm under pressure here. Um, okay. <laughs> so the bears are going to score 19. <laughs> I'm just going to roll with the bit here. The so bears 40 gonna... to 19. Yeah, 40 to 19. That sounds I great. love it. I love it. That's great. Okay, and then uh, that's you know, it. You know why 19 is a significant number, right? Like why why 19 is why the grossest score? Why it's hard to score? score. Well, it, why it's the grossest score that an NFL team can't score. Um, I don't know where you're going, so why? It's basically because you have to have kicked a shitload of field goals nah, and not scored a lot of touchdowns. You can, you yeah, can do all kinds of weird no, stuff after you'd touchdowns. Have to miss, you'd have to miss two extra points if you're scoring touchdowns and you're going for the extra point each time. So I mean, you, I guess, you miss the first extra point and then you go for two and miss it the second time. Yeah, let's say if, if, if we looked up all of the nine times nine teams scored 19 points in, the, in NFL history, uh-huh. I guarantee you the majority of the time it's going to be four field goals and a touchdown. And four field goals and a touchdown. No. I, I guarantee you the majority of games where a team scored 19 points, it's because they kicked four field goals and scored one touchdown. And what about two touchdowns and two field goals with a missed extra point? No, no, no. The four field goals would vastly outnumber that. Missed extra points aren't that common. We're going to have to look this up after the yes, show. Yes, can't wait. I'm, yes, I, I'm will, making, I will do I'm all kinds of – I'm making this prediction now. Okay. 19 points is gross because it means the team kicked four field goals and scored a touchdown, and that is shameful and disgusting. Okay, I love it. So your prediction there was 40 to 19 – or yeah, 40 to 19, and I said 23-13. Finally, the last game of the AFC wildcard weekend – or of the NFL wildcard weekend – is in the Super AFC wild Super Wild Card Weekend uh, with the six games. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun. Um, this is going to be a game that has a ton of emotion and a ton of national attention on it and everything. And that is, of course, the return to the playoffs by the Cleveland Browns. They, The sixth seed in the AFC will be going up against the three-seed Pittsburgh Steelers that were at one time 11-0 and had the inside track to the number one overall or number one seed in the AFC. And then the Steelers became the Steelers and started sucking ass in the end of the year, 12 and four. Um, this is a very, very 
just a just a very emotional game for the Browns. They hadn't been to the playoffs since 2002. They've got their Baker Mayfield, who they picked one overall, and then they were worried that he wasn't going to be any good. And then now they're still probably not sure if he's very good, but they think he might be good because he led them back to the playoffs. Uh, maybe, but with They've a got, negative point differential. So exactly. They, they, they were very up and down this year, and when they were up, they barely won, and when they were down, they got their asses kicked. So it, it's hard to kind of figure out these Browns. They had – a 38 to seven loss to the Steelers and a 38 six loss to the Ravens earlier in the year. They lost to the Raiders 16 to six and they, they just, they, they weren't with, they were kind of gross on offense, but um, now it's a game that, you know, they know the Steelers very well. They just faced the Steelers with some of their backups and barely beat them 24, 22 in week 17. Um, I don't see the Browns. I see the thing is, I don't really believe in either of these teams. We've talked about this a lot. Correct. They're both bad. They're both bad. And so the moment I start convincing myself that one of these teams is going to win, then I'm I'm saying, well, then that means the other team's got to win. And like, I'm not really sure if Pittsburgh has it in them to win a playoff game. I don't, I, I kind of thought that they were going to back their way into uh, the playoffs and lose the first round, no matter who they played. Yeah. So I think I'm going to stick with that, with that gut feeling. I think that the Steelers, just kind of lost it. They started dropping a bunch of passes. They got pissed at Juju for dancing on all the logos. And I just think that whatever fun they were having when they were 11-0, they have not had fun in a long time. And I think that probably continues. I think the Browns pick up a very emotionally charged and big victory in in Heinz Field against the Steelers. Um, I'm going to say the Browns win that game. Let's go 27-16. to 16. Did you know that you know about the streak though, right? You you know about the the, the streak. streak, the streak, the brown streak in Pittsburgh. No, I uh, I don't know. Please, the Browns. Me. How many games do you think the Browns have lost in Pittsburgh in a row? Jesus, so it's got to be huge if it's called the streak. It's, I, I wasn't aware of this. It's um, an outrageous number. So have they not won there since like? Well, if they were a playoff team in two thousand two. They play there once a year. That would be 18 games. I bet it goes back further than that. I'm going to say it goes back to the 90s, so probably like – I'm going to go with like 23 or four games. It's not quite that ridiculous. It's 17, but that's, well, that's still an outrageous yeah, number. I mean, yeah, 2003. They, yeah, they've lost. Sure. They've lost 17 uh, straight games Jesus, in Pittsburgh, Cleveland? which is the third longest road losing streak against a single opponent in NFL history. Yeah. So – they have some pretty significant history to overcome and they're going to have to do it without their head coach. Cause he has COVID Yeah, and they had a negative point differential on the year, but you know, it's, it's going to be a weird game because it's a division game. Anything can happen. Obviously emotions riding high for the Browns, you know, um, a, being a division rivalry, obviously they had the whole incident last year with miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph where miles Garrett tried to, you know, kill Mason Rudolph with his helmet. Um, I don't know. I mean, like, I kind of think there's a part of me that wants to pick the Browns, but I think it's just me wish casting because if the Colts lose to the Bills, like we all kind of think that they will, will. they probably will. They're the seventh seed and the Browns win. Then the Chiefs got to play the Browns and their first playoff game is against a team with a negative point differential. Yeah. And then we get to go play whoever is left in the AFC championship game. And it's at Arrowhead. Yeah. And that's all we have to do is beat the Browns. And then some yeah. other jabroni team, we get to go to the Super Bowl again. Like, I don't know. That's very tantalizing. I want that to happen. I really want the Browns to win this game. I don't really see it. Um, 
I'm going to take the Steelers. The the Browns are going to score 19. So oh, Jesus. <laughs> that's that's going to that's going to happen. It's my meme. They're going to kick four field goals and score a touchdown and kick an extra point. And then the Steelers are going to score. The Steelers are going to score 22. They're just going to kick, kick five field goals. Yeah, field goal yep. to win. 22 to they're going to be They're going to be deadlocked at 19 with two minutes to go, and you're going to be losing your mind, and then the Steelers are going to kick a walk-off field goal. Yes, that's what's going to happen. That That's my official prediction. So that'll be really fun. That'll be the first round of the playoffs. You and I will then get to come on the um, the pod next week and talk all about not only the Chiefs' upcoming playoff matchup, but obviously Woof. how everything shook out and who we would potentially be looking at in the AFC Championship if we get by whoever, you know, when, when, when we, we get, get by. by. Yeah, when exactly we get by right. them. Yeah, that's the other thing. I feel just so different about the playoffs coming into this year than I have at any other point in my whole life. Like it is this, these playoffs specifically, these ones are, they belong to the chiefs. They are the chiefs. They, they just need to seize it. But I, I've, I feel this confidence that I've never really felt before as the defending champs. And frankly, I never want to go into the playoffs, not feeling like this ever again. So um, very much looking forward to it. It's always sunny in the playoffs for Chiefs Kingdom. Okay, so is there a way to look up this thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Field yeah, goals, because yeah, yeah. yeah, I'm I'm doing it right now. So we're okay, good. Because go. I I'm doing we're doing it live. Or you're staying on until we figure this out. Sure. So yes, I am. We're gonna, gonna do because I'm team I'm game finder, and it'll be points scored equals 19 in the regular season or the playoffs post merger. Or we're gonna sort by field goals. Yeah, field goals made. Okay, and so then statistical filter points for equals 19. So let's see first how many games have ended with 19 points. It is over 100. Interesting. Okay, so this is great. So I sorted it by field goals made. Uh So you said that the overwhelming majority of them will have four field goals made, right? Yes. Okay. So of the first 100 games of 19 points scored, yes, all 100 had four field goals made. <laughs> so of the next page that goes down to 200, all 100 had four field goals made. Oh, my God. How many of these games are there? This that's a great question. Out of the next page, which goes down to 300, that's when we stop with the fours. So there were 228. There were four field goals. Out of, here's 300... Here's 400, 488, so less than half. Less than half, but pretty close to half, right? Um, yes, Two, but 220. 228 out of 488. Well, I mean, we're talking about what, 45%, 43%, somewhere in there? 46.7%. That's pretty close. 
Yeah, but it's not the overwhelming majority. It's not even uh, half. That's fair, but uh, that's fine. That's fine. It is what it is. It um, is what it is. I think we both were on the same side of the same coin, or different sides of the same coin. I was thinking I bet half of them are not four, and you were thinking I bet half of them are four, and we were both right. 